right, well, tonight we are in our final part of our series called Mastermind. And during this series, we have been looking at the power of our thoughts and of our minds. You know, our thoughts, they have the ability to determine the direction and the quality of our life. And in week one, we talked about the importance of recognizing our thoughts, of thinking about what we think about. You see, in order to master your mind, you first have to identify the negative and unhealthy thought patterns that have developed. You have to be aware of what's going on in your mind and how you think. But you see, it's not just enough that, that we recognize our thoughts, we also have to do something about them. So last week, we talked about what it looks like to renew our minds. You see, the process of renewing our mind, it has two really important steps. First of all, we have to take our thoughts captive, meaning that when you have an unhealthy thought, when you have a thought that, that comes into your mind, you don't entertain it, you don't fantasize about it, you don't push it down and act like it's not there. Instead, you take that thought and you make it obedient to Christ. And we talked about how we, how we do this last week. In order to take every thought captive, we have to submit that thought. We have to compare it to the word of God to determine if it's true and if it's right and if it's God-honoring. But in addition to, to taking every thought captive, we also have to, to guard our minds. That's the second step. We have to protect our thought life. And we do this through prayer, through petition, through thanksgiving, and through presenting our requests to God. And scripture tells us that when we do this, when we do these, these four things, that the peace of God, it will begin to guard our hearts and our minds. God will begin to renew our mind day by day, and he will begin to, to transform our thought life. So tonight, we're going to look at a final way in which we can master our mind. And we're going to talk about how we can reframe our thinking. How we can reframe our thinking. Growing up, one of my least favorite doctors to go to was the eye doctor. I absolutely despise the eye doctor. It's worse than the dentist. It's worse than pretty much any other doctor that, that you would go and visit. And I remember that when I was a kid and my mom would tell me that I had an eye doctor appointment coming up, I would fret and panic about it for weeks. Like I would circle that day on my calendar and I would start counting down the days because I knew that the day that I went to the doctor, the eye doctor, that, that was the day the world was gonna end. Like that is how much I literally hate the eye doctor. And the worst experience when you go to the eye doctor is when you go in and you sit down and they put this thing up against your face and they tell you, look at the little picture that looks like a barn and don't blink. And what do they do as you're sitting there not blinking, looking at this picture of a barn? They begin to blow what in your eye? Air. air. They blow air into your eye. And that is literally like to me one of the worst feelings in the world. I would rather go to the dentist and have my teeth cleaned and get a cavity filled than have to have air blown in my eye at the eye doctor. And thankfully, when I was a kid, I really did not have a lot of eye problems. I didn't really have anything to be concerned about. But unfortunately, as I've gotten older, my eyesight's gotten worse. 
Now, I don't need you guys thinking like I'm 30 or 40 or something because I'm not that old. But as I've gotten older, my, my eyesight has begun to get worse. And I notice specifically there's one time of the day when my eyesight is really bad. There's one time in the day where I notice it the most. And that's at night while I'm driving. It's at night while I'm driving. The literal worst time of the day that your eyesight can go out is when my eyesight chooses to go out. And recently what I've noticed is that as I'm driving, especially at night, I have a lot of trouble seeing. I can't really tell when a car is coming at me which lane they're in. When I look at headlights in the middle of the night, all I see is this little fuzzy blob of light. And it's really hard for me to focus on driving, especially when it's dark outside. And a couple of months ago, Josh and I, we were headed home from dinner. And for some reason, I was driving, which I don't normally do. But I was driving home, and he literally turns his head, and he looks at me, and he goes, what's wrong with you? He's like, he's looking at me like with this weird look on his face, and he's like, what's wrong with you? Little did I realize that I was hunched over the steering wheel, driving like a grandmother because I literally cannot see the road in front of me. And when I looked at him, I made the mistake of telling him what was actually going on. I was like, well, I've really been having some trouble seeing. I can't really see when I'm driving. It would probably be good if we pulled the car over and if you drove the rest of the way home. And finally, he convinced me to eventually go to the eye doctor, my least favorite place in the entire world. And sure enough, the eye doctor told me that sometimes this happens. As you get older, sometimes you struggle to see a little bit more, and you need glasses. That was like a shot in the heart. Never have I really had to wear glasses in my entire life, but now I have to wear glasses when I drive at night. And so I got my glasses ordered. They put this special lens in them in order to help me see while I'm driving. And sure enough, what can you imagine happened? I can see again. I can see again. You see, to this day, I still can't see when I drive at night. In fact, the problem with my eyesight, it hasn't changed. As I age, it literally continues to get worse. But you see, when I put on my glasses, when I put on my glasses, the lens in which I see my problem begins to change. No longer do I have trouble seeing when I'm driving. No longer can I not tell where cars are at and, and what headlights look like. You see, my perspective, it has completely changed, even though my problem hasn't. And that's because I have on my glasses, I have on new lenses. You see, students, the, the lens in which we look at life, it matters. The lens in which we look at life, it matters. That's because your lens, it influences your thinking and your thought process. And over the past few weeks, we've talked about just how important our, our thoughts really are. That's because they have the potential to shape how we think, how we view things, and how we respond to different situations that we find ourselves in. And listen, when we think about life through the wrong lens, it distorts how we see the world. When we think about life through an incorrect lens, it distorts how we see the world. And just like when I don't have my glasses on, 
my vision it is extremely distorted. In fact, it's not reality. And when we continue to think about life through the wrong lens, we begin to develop what scientists call a cognitive bias. Everyone say cognitive bias. We talked about a cognitive bias a few weeks ago, but I'm just gonna remind you for just a minute. A cognitive bias happens when we make wrong decisions based on wrong thinking. A cognitive bias begins to develop in our life when we begin to make wrong decisions based on wrong thinking. And because of these personal beliefs, we become biased. That's why different people respond to the same situation in different ways. That's why two different people can respond to the same situation in two different ways. Here's an example of this. I want you to imagine that there are two friends. And both of these friends get caught cheating on a test at school. And their, their teacher finds out and their teacher sends them to the principal's office and the principal sits both of them down together. And while they're in the principal's office together having the same conversation with the principal, the principal begins to explain to them, all right, here's your punishment, here's what you did wrong, here's what we need to do moving forward. Same conversation, same people in the room. But what happens? When those two friends get up and they walk out of the office, they have completely different reactions to the conversation that just happened. Friend number one can't believe that he got in trouble. Why would my teacher send me here? I don't deserve this punishment. This is really not even a big deal. Whereas friend number two has a completely different response. You know, I really shouldn't have done this. This was a bad decision on my part. Next time moving forward, this definitely isn't gonna happen again. You see, same situation, same environment, and two totally different responses. You see, it's not the, the facts that are different, it's the lens in which they saw that situation that was different. And the lens in which you and I think about life, it matters significantly. In scripture, there's one person who understood this idea very well, and it was the Apostle Paul. In the book of Philippians, we find a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. This church at Philippi, it was started by Paul approximately 10 years prior on his second missionary journey. Oftentimes, what, what Paul would do is he would go on these missionary journeys, and while he was on these journeys, he would plant churches in strategic locations. He would raise up leaders and support, and he would train the, these men and these women to, to kind of plant this church. And once, it, once this church got, got settled and they were beginning to, to get their footing, he would then leave and he would go do that in a different location. And that's exactly what happened with the, the church of Philippi. Paul planted this church at, at Philippi and then he went on to plant countless of other churches. And now Paul is, is writing back to them after all of this time has passed. He's writing to let them know how, how grateful he is for them, to encourage them, to support them, to, to check in. But as he's writing this letter, he's actually found himself in a very difficult situation. He's found himself in a very difficult situation. You see, throughout Paul's ministry, one of his greatest desires and his prayers was to go to the city of Rome. 
Back then, Rome kind of served as this central hub for, for all activity. It was, it was a major city. All religion, all trade, all government really ran through Rome. And Paul believed that if he could, could get to Rome, if he could get to Rome and to, to preach the gospel, if he could get to Rome and influence the city's officials and government leaders, then a, a revival would break out throughout all of the Roman Empire and beyond. And many people would eventually come to faith in Jesus as a result. Listen, Paul eventually made it to Rome, but it was not how he expected. When Paul arrived in Rome, he was placed under house arrest. He was awaiting trial and a possible execution for preaching the good news of Jesus. And while it's in prison that he actually writes these words to the church at Philippi. I want you to listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout this whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. You see, what Paul wanted was not actually what happened. Paul, he really wanted to, to go to Rome and to preach to some of the most influential people of that time. Instead, he finds himself locked up under house arrest with a guard chained to him 24-7. This was not his, his ideal situation. This was not how, how he pictured himself in the city of Rome. But I want you to notice his response to this situation. I want you to notice what he says. In verse 12, he says, Though I'm in chains, my situation, it has still served to advance the gospel. Although this situation wasn't ideal, it wasn't what I expected, it wasn't what I had hoped for, you see, God is still at work. He's still moving in the midst of this situation and people are still coming to know Jesus as their personal savior. He says, no, I don't have influence with, with the city's highest leaders. Instead, I have influence with the prisoners, with the guards, with the people who are coming in to visit me. And not only that, not only is God continuing to work in the midst of this situation, he says, actually, because of this situation I find myself in, my strength and the strength of other believers around me, it has actually been emboldened. It has actually been strengthened. Why? Probably because he doesn't have anything to fear. He's already reached rock bottom. He's found himself in one of the worst possible situations that he could. And he's telling the church at Philippi, he said, listen, I don't need you to have pity for me. I don't need you to have sympathy for me. I don't need you to feel bad. And he's like, I definitely don't want you to be discouraged. Because he said, God has been faithful to provide even in the midst of this difficult situation. And even in the midst of this situation, God is still working. I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes for a minute. I want you to imagine that you have found yourself in prison for a crime that you don't deserve to be there for. Here you are sitting in a prison cell. You're chained to a guard 24-7. And here you sit, awaiting trial, 
and awaiting your, your possible execution. Now, I don't know about you, but Paul's reaction would not be my reaction, mainly because I know that if I ended up in prison, I would not do well. I would not survive if I ended up in prison, let's be honest, okay? That is like worst possible scenario for me is having to be in prison. But I want you to put yourself in this situation. I want you to imagine what Paul is feeling right now. Because I think a lot of times when we read these passages, when we talk about the Apostle Paul and how amazing he was as this hero of the faith, there tends to be this disconnect. We tend to think that Paul was some type of superhero Christian that didn't struggle like we did. That he didn't experience the same emotions and feelings and frustrations and hurt. It's kind of like he, he was built different. You see, Paul was no different than, than you and I. I'm sure that in some of the situations he found himself in, he was terrified. He was afraid. He was frustrated. This wasn't, wasn't ideal for him. But you see, the difference is that Paul understood a very important lesson. Paul understood a really important lesson. You see, Paul was able to think about the reality of his situations through an eternal lens rather than an earthly lens. He was able to think about the reality of his situation through an eternal lens rather than an earthly lens. He understood that that he couldn't control what happened to him. He couldn't control the situations that he found himself in, but he could control how he framed it. And when he framed his thinking with an eternal lens, it changed his entire perspective. It allowed him to think of his situation in a very different light, one that doesn't seem natural or that doesn't seem normal to us. You see, students, the same is true for us today. You and I, we can't control the situations that we often find ourselves in. We can't control certain things that happen in our life. We can't control what other people say to us. We can't control how other people treat us. We don't don't get to control some of the trials and the difficult seasons of life that we often walk through. But we have complete control over how we frame it. We have complete control over how we frame it. And we can choose to think about our situations, the things that that happen to us with an eternal lens rather than an earthly lens. So what does this look like? What does it look like for us to have an eternal lens versus an earthly lens, to to begin to reframe our thinking? You see, having an eternal lens is more than just thinking about life in a positive way. It's more than just thinking happy thoughts or having a glass half full kind of perspective. Instead, it means that we begin to see our situation how God sees it. We begin to to look at our situations the way God sees them. And we begin to process and understand the way God himself sees our situation. You see, God's perspective is very different than ours. His perspective, it's not limited by time or by place. And when he thinks of our situation, he thinks of it in all of eternity. 
He sees our trials and our difficulties as part of, of a bigger plan, a plan that he's wanting to accomplish and to bring into fruition in our lives. And he's constantly thinking about the whole picture while often you and I are simply focused on, on just a small piece. But listen, not only is God's perspective unlimited, God's perspective is, is also perfect. Because we live in a broken world, our earthly perspective, it is rooted in sin. We are broken and sinful people, and because of that, we are far from perfect. But you see, God, he, he is sinless. God is sinless, meaning that he's not capable of sin. And that also means that the way in which he views our situations is also perfect. And so we need to begin to strive to think about our situations, to think about the things that happen to us in the same way that, that God does. And I know this might be difficult for some of us to wrap our heads around, so I want to give you just a really couple practical examples of what this looks like in our life. Here's the first one. Maybe you've experienced a, a situation like this, all right? I studied really hard, but I still failed a class at school. A situation that probably we can all relate to in some way or another. An earthly lens might lead us to think thoughts like, this is pointless because I still failed and I might as well not try as hard next time when I struggle in school. But when we stop and we begin to think about how God sees our situation through an eternal lens, it might lead us to have thoughts that, that look something like this. You know, as I continue to try my best, God, he's developing character and perseverance in this area of my life. Here's, a, here's another example, one we can definitely all relate to. A close friend has hurt me, and now there's tension in our relationship. I've had this falling out with this friend and now there's kind of this really awkward thing going on between me and my friend and I'm not sure what to do. An earthly lens might lead to having thoughts like, you know, I'm not ever gonna be able to trust them again, so I might as well just cut them out of my life. What's the point? There's really no point in continuing this, this relationship. Instead, an eternal lens might lead us to think, Although my relationship isn't the same, and even though it might not ever look the same, I have the power to forgive because Jesus has already forgiven me. You see the difference? Here's another example. I applied to my dream college and I didn't get in. I got rejected. An earthly lens would lead us to think, my life is not gonna turn out like I had planned. I'm not gonna be successful and now I have to figure out what my next step is gonna look like. Where an eternal lens, thinking about this situation, how God might think about it, would lead us to think, I might not understand why this is my next step, but I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for my life. Do you see the difference between these two different types of thinking? Whether or not we frame our situation with an eternal lens versus an earthly lens, it matters. And it makes a difference in our everyday thought life because it begins to change our perspective and how we think about the situations that happen to us. 
So how do we begin to develop an eternal lens? How do we begin to develop this in our own life? Unfortunately, this isn't something that's just automatic. It's not our natural reaction or it's not our natural tendency. And it's really not as easy as just giving you three simple steps to do when you get home tonight. However, to begin to develop an eternal lens, it means that we begin to become intentional about how we think about our situations. I want you to look at how Paul closes out his final chapter to the church at Philippi. I want you to look at what he says in chapter 4, verse 8. He says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, to begin to develop an eternal lens in our life, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional. And Paul, he gives us a great place to start right here in these verses. He says, listen, you are to think about the things that are right, the things that are true, the things that that are noble, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy, that are lovely. And we need to begin to, to filter our thoughts through these categories that Paul lists off in these verses. And if our thoughts, they don't be, they don't pass the test, they don't fall into these categories that Paul has listed here, then it has no place in our life. Those thoughts have no place coming into our mind and staying in our mind. That's where we talked about last week that that we take every thought captive. We submit it to God's word to see if it matches what God's word says. And if we come across a thought that it doesn't fall into one of these categories, it has no business in our life. And listen, over time, when we make a conscious effort to begin to think about the things that are true, to begin to think about the things that are right and that are pure and that are lovely, our eternal lens will begin to develop. We'll begin to reframe our, our thinking from an eternal, from an earthly perspective to an eternal perspective. And so tonight I really want you to, to consider this question. I really want you to think through what area of life do you need to develop an eternal perspective? Maybe recently there's been some situation that, that's happened in your life. There's something going on at home. There's something going on at school, on your sports team, maybe even here at church. And you have really struggled to see how, to see that situation through the lens in which God sees it. You've become wrapped up in your feelings, in your emotions. You've begun to put emphasis on thinking about things that aren't necessarily true, that aren't necessarily right. And you need to begin to develop an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective, an eternal lens in which you look at your situation. And I know that, that for some of you here tonight, you are walking through some really difficult seasons of life. 
There are some of you in this situation or in this room right now that have walked through some really difficult situations, especially recently. And listen, I am not naive enough to tell you to just think more positive thoughts about your situation. I'm not naive enough to, to begin to tell you, hey, if you think happier thoughts, if you begin to, to be this glass half full kind of person, listen, your problems are gonna go away. I don't believe that. I don't believe that to be true. But I do believe that when we begin to look at our situation the way that God sees our situation, it begins to change our perspective. It begins to give us hope and peace and comfort, even in the most difficult situations that we face in life. So I want you to consider in what area of your life do you need to develop an eternal lens? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for each one of these students in this room. And God, I know that in a room this size, all of us are walking through different situations in life. Some of us are in really great seasons of blessing. Others of us are walking through some really hard trials. And Father, you know right now where each one of us are at. You know where, where, what each one of us is walking through right now. And Father, I thank you that we have the ability to begin to reframe our thinking. That we have the ability to begin to, to process our situations in a different way. To begin to think about our situations in light of how you see them. To begin to develop an eternal lens. And Father, I thank you so much that when we begin to, to fill our minds with the things that, that Paul talks about, the things that are true, the things that are right, the things that are noble, the things that are pure, that you will begin to, to transform our thought life, that we will receive the, the peace that only you can give us. And that as we develop an eternal lens, Father, it brings us comfort, it brings us joy, and it brings us a brand new perspective. And I thank you for that. It's in your name that we pray, amen.